This podcast is brought to you by Knowledge at Wharton. Welcome to Knowledge at Wharton. I'm Angie Bassiuni. If I asked you to look around your house right now, it probably wouldn't take you too long to find some things you've purchased in the last year, but maybe haven't used. Maybe it's a pair of shoes you were saving for just the right occasion or a bottle of wine for a special dinner, or even the good towels that you only put out for overnight guests. Well, if you haven't consumed these things by now, Wharton marketing professor Jonah Berger says there's a pretty good chance you never will. He's here with me today to talk about his recent study into why people buy stuff they don't use and end up with piles of clutter. There are a lot of psychological components to clutter, of course, but there are also implications for marketers who want consumers not only to buy their products, but to use those products and hopefully come back for more. His paper is titled, How Non-Consumption Can Turn Ordinary Items into Perceived Treasures, and it was co-authored by Jacqueline Rifkin, an assistant marketing professor at the University of Missouri, Kansas City. Jonah, thanks for joining me today. It's always good to have you with us. Thanks for having me back. Can you give me an overview of this research and what inspired you to look at this topic? Yeah, so so as with many uh, research ideas, it started with a very simple observation. Um, and this one was around a pair of, of shoes. So I'm going to date myself here, but actually a number of years ago when I was on the job market before I came to Wharton, I you know was excited about doing interviews. I got myself a nice suit. I got myself a pair of shoes. Um, and uh, I, li- I liked those shoes a lot, wore them for, for my interviews. Um, but then I was like, where am I going to wear these again? And they were wonderful shoes. I loved them so much. I thought they were the coolest, um, but I wasn't wearing them. I said, oh, they're not good enough for this occasion. They're not good enough for this next occasion. And then another occasion would come up. I said, still not good enough. And eventually I never wore these shoes and I never wore them so much that they eventually went out of style. And so I <laughs> never wore them at all. And I, and I got rid of them. And, and this story started with something that's a little special. The shoes were a little special to start, but I noticed similar examples across areas of my life. I would buy some new pairs of socks. Let me tell you, socks aren't super special. Um, and I would be like, oh, is today the day to break open that new pair of socks? Is today the right day? Maybe I should wait for tomorrow. Maybe I should wait the next day. And I, I kind of noticed what it felt like was that by not using these things once, in some sense, they became more special. Through not using them, it changed how I saw these products. And so we started to wonder, well, is this just my weirdness um, or is there something more interesting here that might tell us something interesting about consumer behavior and something that might help marketers uh, better meet consumers where they are? Your story about shoes makes me think about the good suit. You know, like my husband has the suit he wears only for weddings, funerals, and job interviews. We all have that good (laughs) suit in our closet. So you and your co-author conducted six experiments to support your thesis, and your findings were consistent across all those experiments. I would like for you to take us through one as an example. Let's go with the one um, that I mentioned at the top, the bottle of wine. Yeah. So in this situation, we gave people, we said, hey, here's a bottle of wine. Uh, Imagine that you have this bottle of wine. It's a, I don't know, you know, $12 bottle of Pinot Noir. So it's not the most expensive, it's not a fancy bottle of champagne. It's kind of a usual uh, bottle of wine. Um, uh, For half the people, we said, hey, imagine you thought about using this bottle of wine while having dinner one night, but then you decided not to. And the other half were not told that. And then next, we gave them an opportunity to use this wine. We said, hey, there's a, you know, an opportunity coming up. Um, you know, how likely would you be to use this wine at that opportunity? And also, you know, um, what's the ideal occasion when you would use this wine? And so this isn't, you know, the good suit that's in our closet. This is, it's not two buck chuck, but it's a $12 bottle of wine. It's kind of a normal thing that many folks might, might have in their home. And what we found was really interesting, which is just telling people, hey, you know, imagine you passed up using this once. Then later on, when they were given another opportunity to use it, they were more likely to pass it up again. 
The fact that they had foregone using it at one ordinary occasion made them forego using it at a later occasion. And then when we asked them, hey, you know, what would be the ideal occasion to use this for? We found that they listed more special, unusual, um, uh, unique occasions to use it rather than just saying, hey, you know, I'd pop this open on a Tuesday or Wednesday night. It became, you know, oh, I'd be saving for a special occasion. Oh, I'd be saving for a date night with my spouse or, oh, you know, I'd only use under this occasion. And so what was neat about it is, is originally this thing was just a bottle of wine. It wasn't that special. But by passing up using it once, people started to infer that maybe this thing is special, right? Maybe the fact that I wasn't using it means that it's special, which made them actually less likely to use it in the future. So that gets me into this concept that you and your co-author identify in the paper called the specialness spiral. Can you explain that a little bit? Yeah. So, so I think we all have this notion that certain things in our life just are special right? There's that heirloom china that, you know, your parents may have passed down to you. There's that special suit that you might have worn at your own wedding. These things are clearly special based on the things that that they're associated with. But what's a little more weird or um, unusual or um, in some sense irrational is that that $12 wine might become special or that pair of socks that's just a pair of socks might become special, right? Why do ordinary items become treasures? Why do we sort of hold on to these things that really started having none of these associations. And so what we found, and this is what we call a specialness spiral, is you take an ordinary item, you forego using it once. Because of that, you start to see it as a little more special. But because you see it as a little more special, the next opportunity you use it, you say, well, maybe this is not a good enough opportunity. So you pass up using it. So it becomes a little more special. So the next opportunity has to be even better, which means it's less likely to be used. So it becomes even more special. And so it's this ratcheting upward of a specialness spiral where eventually an item that started out very ordinary through repeated lack of use, through repeated passing up usage of that item, eventually becomes quite uh, special and eventually becomes seen more as a, a treasure. And you mentioned socks. I mean, this could happen to any object, any product, right? Certainly, yeah. This is not this is not a paper about socks and wine. <laughs> Hopefully, as you're listening to this, you can think about examples of this in, in your own life. And, and look, I don't mean to suggest, and we don't mean to suggest, that everything for clutter is driven by this, right? There's certainly right. other reasons for clutter. Um, but when we do have these things that start out quite ordinary and eventually become extraordinary, this is one reason why that happens. So let's get into the implication for marketers. It's always been desirable for companies to market their products as exclusive or special, but your study indicates that maybe that's not such a good idea. So what can marketers do to mitigate this effect of perceived treasures that leads to non-consumption? So you're, you're very right that it's good to be special, right? Many marketers are interested in marketing their products as exclusive or special, and we see that language used a lot in a variety of different categories. But I think while marketers do that to increase valuations, right, if it's something special or something exclusive, it seems like it's worth more. Um, it can have a downside if it means that that thing never gets used. Right. If we buy a dress or a shirt or a pair of socks or a bottle of wine um, that we never end up using, that may get in the way of using things in the future. We may actually be less likely to buy from the brand. Right. We may sit there going, "Oh, well, I, you know, I never use the shoes from that brand. Maybe I shouldn't buy from them in the in the future." And so. Marketers may want to consider a number of ways of, of dealing with this. You know, um, maybe it's associating offerings with a specific usage occasion. Instead mm -hmm. of a dress being marketed as like a fancy dress or wine being just marketed as red wine, it's um, you know, describing it as a New Year's dress or wine for a steak dinner. Um, you know, really associating with specific occasions will make people go, ah, this is that occasion. It's time uh, to use this thing. 
Alternatively, um, brands could consider encouraging consumers to use their offerings as soon as possible after purchase, right? We, we see this a lot, obviously, with, with groceries, with perishable mm-hmm. items. You know, you're not sitting there treasuring a banana because you know if you wait too long, it'll turn brown on your counter and eventually attract some fruit flies. Um, and so you can see best buy dates on uh, yogurt, for example, but we could imagine the same thing on other types of products, right? Even if they're non-perishable, sort of encouraging people to realize um, that they haven't used them yet. And this is something, you know, experts on clutter and things along those lines often talk about. They say, you know, turn your, um, in your closet, turn all your hangers a particular direction. And when you use something and you take it out and use it, turn it in the other direction. And then you can see if you have a shirt that's been sitting there forever that you never use because it's facing the wrong direction. And so, I think by allowing people to see that they're not using things or understanding more about their own foibles in decision-making, we can avoid them getting stuck and, and marketers can be more successful. Is this kind of a tough uh, sell for marketers at the moment? Because right now we're sort of in the middle of this ethos of consume less, live more. That's a slogan that's out there. You've got Marie Kondo and her spark joy, only buy things that bring joy to you, don't overconsume. This is This is a real trend out there. So is it going to be tougher for marketers to sort of steer away from that? You know, I think that's one way of looking at it. I think you can also uh, look at the fact that people are interested in helping the environment um, and being more pro-social and really not wasting things uh, as much. And, you know, um, in some sense, if we buy something and don't use it, we have not unlocked the value that that thing offered to us. Um, You know, it's one thing if it's heirloom China and we're not really using it as China, we're using it as, um, you know, something to be looked at once in a while and remind us of a memory. Uh, But, you know, a pair of Nike socks doesn't need to be that way. Um, Mm -hmm. And so hopefully by understanding this, marketers can help consumers unlock the value um, in their products and services. That's a great point. I think uh, you mentioned in your paper uh, a a fast fashion retailer who, uh, we won't use the name, but they market their clothing as something to consume right now because new ones are coming. And that's a way to sort of not look at that clothing as something to be put away in the closet for future use, but to be consumed in the moment. Yes. Yeah. It's more, it's not necessarily disposable, but like this is to use now. And, and like my shoe example, where we started, you know, the problem with some of these things is if you wait too long, they do have an expiration date. They, they don't turn brown on your counter, but the shoes go out of style. And then you had some great shoes that you never wore. This paper really expands what we know about consumption. That's very interesting. What are some of the follow-up angles for this particular line of research? You know, one thing uh, that Jacqueline, who's the first author of this paper, is really interested in, and and I've become interested in as well through her, is, is kind of what drives specialness, right? Why do some products and services and experiences and aspects of our lives, why do they become special? Um, uh, you know, I think there are certain routes that are clear, right? You know, passed down and heirlooms and those mm-hmm. sorts of things. But, but uh, how do products and services not just have the value they start with, but take on additional value? And how can marketers use that, right? I mean, um, you know, marketers not only want to sell products that people use, they want to build experiences. If um, uh, products and services remind us of close others, that can make them more special. If they help us connect with aspects of our lives, that can make them more special. And so I think this question of how to turn ordinary things into treasures is interesting, not only from the consumer side, but for marketers as well. Thank you for this insight today. It's been terrific. So my personal takeaway from your study is that Dr. Jonah Berger is telling me life is short, wear the shoes, drink the wine, or in my case, the latte. If you enjoyed this podcast, you can find more just like it on our website, where you can also find all our articles on the latest research in business. I'm Angie Bessini for Knowledge at Wharton. Thanks for listening. For more insight from Knowledge at Wharton, please visit knowledge.wharton.upenn.edu. Thank you.